You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. David Kirk Philp here at the University of William Patterson. And I am not here with Dr. Esteban Marconi today. Instead, I am here with Dr. Jenna. What's your last name? Vitali. Very good. Jenna Vitali here, who is not a doctor, but she's a very nice person. And we're on Brave New Radio, Music Biz 101 and more. Thank you for joining us and listening with us today. Our guest is Cassie Petrie, co-CEO, co-founder of CrowdSurf. We're going to talk about her to her face in a couple minutes. But at the moment, we need to give some thanks. We're going to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent Kiss, Zach Brown, Tima Likes Music. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you're ready. By the way, St. Vincent just won a Grammy last week. And we want to give thanks to Christine Oive, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine helps professionals all over the world manage their investments plan after the retirement when somebody like you is to get a building to bridge to your personal financial future. Go to the Forefront Group and go to Christine at Forefront.com. Managing your band, 7th edition, it is out now. And of course, the University of William Patterson's music business program, year after year after year, has been ranked one of the best in the history of mankind. And now that we know all of that, it is time for Jenna Vitali the president of MIO, our music biz organization. Student run and run by students. Jenna, my co-host today, is going to give a brief intro on Cassie and then ask Cassie questions. And then you, the listener, are going to be smiling and loving every moment. Jenna, please, please, please take it away. Will do. So today we have Cassie Petrie. She is the co-founder and co-CEO of CrowdSurf, a digital marketing company providing catered and specialized marketing services to a roster of massive stars from Guns N' Roses and Backstreet Boys to Fifth Harmony and Britney Spears. So we will start from start from here. Let's see. Um, let have you explain what CrowdSurf is, what, what the company does, main responsibilities, mission, all that fun stuff. Yes. Uh, so CrowdSurf's mission has changed a lot over the years, but our current mission statement is helping talented people share their gifts with the world. And I, I wanted to keep it sort of broad and simple like that, because when we started the company, we were very much focused on running MySpace pages. It was super specific. And over the years, as artists have encountered different problems in the digital space and just in the marketing space in general, we evolved our services and have a really wide breadth of services and things that we do for people now. We, you know, we, we just, it really just became like, we're here to, to help you. That comes in a lot of different 
shapes and sizes and services. And sometimes we're doing one really little thing, specific thing to help people. And sometimes we're doing everything <laughs> and, 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 you know, and then a lot of uh, the service offerings kind of end up somewhere in between, but, um, you know, I think we're CrowdSurf is sort of known um, as a digital marketing agency. We're pretty full service, like top to bottom in terms of servicing everything, social media, um, paid and digital advertising. We build websites, we make graphics, we set up music video shoots, we set up content shoots, we edit TikToks, we, everything that an artist is kind of using to communicate on the internet. That is something that we can do and help with. And then we also like to do a lot of things that help artists get in front of the ideal target audience on, on the internet. So that, you know, you know, dives into like helping them find the right um, vendors to do, you know, paid media campaigns, promotions that get them in front of new people, um, TikToks that have the ability to reach new audiences and every other kind of thing you can really, really think of. But um, we do a lot for people and we have a lot of clients and I'm really, you know, proud of the, you know, team that we've built in. Um, all the things that we do to, you know, help try to make our artists and talents life a little bit easier on a day-to-day -day basis. Awesome. So as I said earlier, um, you are the co-founder. So yes. was there a hole in the industry? Um, you founded it 2007, was it? Yes. Okay. So was there a hole in the industry? Did you see something that needed to be fixed that you knew you and Jade might be able to help yeah. Um, so before I started CrowdSurf with Jade, we both worked at um, Warner Music Nashville. And we were in, at that time, the department was called the New Media Department. And basically New Media meant every sort of communication and media that doesn't fall into a current department within a record label gets tossed to this sector. So that was everything from, you know, MySpace, which was like my specialty, but building websites, everything streaming fell into that category at that time. Um, ringtones were a big thing that were being sold at that time. So everything that was kind of new and nobody knew what to do with it, it got thrown into like the new media section of the record label. Um, and Jade and I worked in new media for three years and it, there wasn't really a place to grow within our current like day-to-day -day tasks that we were doing at a record label. We actually liked what we were doing. We're like, okay, we found what we like, but there's not jobs for it yet. Like the term, like social media manager, I wasn't really like, there weren't job listings for that at this point. And I was like, I think this is, I think we're still early in social media. I think it still has a lot of opportunity to grow. We want to grow in our careers because I was a temp for three years. Um, I didn't even have like a real salary job. I was running through a temp agency. I was like, I've been a temp for three years, which is great. It was while I was in college. So like I didn't mind that. I wasn't upset. I thought it was honestly the perfect situation for, you know, kind of coinciding with my education. But when I, you know, I was like, okay, I'm graduating. I want like a real job now in terms of, you know, salary, not being called temp, that sort of thing. There isn't a place for me to grow in the Warner system where I want to grow. There was jobs that were offered, but they weren't, they would take me away from what I liked. So Jade and I were kind of like, well, let's just find some clients outside of this, the label and let's, you know, let's start our own company. And, you know, and that, so it kind of came like we wanted this job, but the job that we wanted didn't exist, but we thought people would pay for it and needed it and would, and it would grow. So that's why we decided to start it. I didn't have some grand dream of being an entrepreneur or a, or a company owner. I just, I, I wanted to keep the job that I, that I liked it was really what it came down to. With you talking a little bit about Warner, um, can you talk a little bit about um, all of your experience, I guess, in a summary form, because I'm sure you have a lot, but um, everything you did in college, any internship, everything you did up to up to CrowdSurf, basically, and how that helped you with creating CrowdSurf. Yeah, I would say every little thing I did involving music from like the age of 11 on helped me to, you know, to sort of the inception of CrowdSurf. I always say that my career started when I was 11 years old and made, I was a big Backstreet Boys fan and I made um, this, I call it, it was called an online zine. It was basically a glorified email list that I made look really pretty. Um, but it had like, you know, curated like sections and articles and I would make like word searches, but then like report on news. It was like a mini magazine um, that I would send out three times a week. 
And so I, and I had one of the like biggest Backstreet Boys versions of that. And that's kind of the equivalent now of like, if I had a really big like fan Instagram, TikTok or Twitter account, um, I did that. And I really liked being a part of the fan community. So I kind of became a serial super fan from there. So I, and then the gamut really sort of spread on that. Like I liked other boy bands, but then I also liked, you know, saw Dave Matthews band 10 times in concert, you know, one summer and, you know, every, in every other kind of genre in between if I'm being honest so I really just like I feel like once you're a fan a super fan of somebody once it's easier to replicate it for other artists and so I, I you know so I kind of had that experience and as I was doing that I was um I remember my uncle like one time was like hey like you know there's like a major you, you can major in music business and I was in that moment when I realized like there are jobs that aren't the people on stage because I'm not musically talented at all. Um, when I realized there aren't, there were jobs that weren't artists that I became obsessed with it and like knew that's what I had to do. I didn't know what, what it was going to be at that time. So I, um, you know, I, I start, I read Donald Passman's All You Need to Know About the Music Businesses. I feel like every music industry person has done at some point in their journey. And I still have my version of it from when I was 15. It's all highlighted and it's, it's hilarious what I, chose to highlight and, and focus on <laughs> at that point in my life. Um, but um, I did that. And then, you know, the, one of the things that book emphasizes how hard it is to get a job in the business. So I became obsessed with just making sure I had a shot because I, you know, read all these crazy statistics about getting a job in the music business. So I was like, okay, I need to build my resume. So I like, I started in Louisville, Kentucky. I, um, I, I worked for local bands. I worked at the local record label. I worked at the, um, you know, at the uh, record shop. I street teamed for, you know, the street team at that time is like posting flyers at coffee shops, but handing out flyers after shows, that sort of thing. But I did, I did street teaming for national bands as they came through Louisville. But I did pretty much everything I could do without a actual like internship for credit. I did that in Louisville, Kentucky, and it paid off because when I was finally going to college, I applied to be a Warner Music College rep. And my resume looked awesome because I had, even though I didn't get paid for any of it, I had that I'd worked at a record label. I'd had that I, you know, worked for a local band. I had that I'd street teamed and had like, you know, big national names attached to that section. So I had like a really awesome resume for an 18 year old based upon all my, you know, more or less like volunteer experiences. And, and I think a lot of times when you're getting that first entry-level job, people, when they're looking at your resume, they're looking, they're not necessarily looking for a specific experience. I think they're looking to see if you're a go-getter and if you're excited about the business. And I think that my resume portrayed that. And they're like, usually we don't take people till they're juniors or seniors, but we're going to take you as a freshman because your resume is insane. So I, so I thought that was awesome. Um, so I moved to Nashville as a freshman in college and, um, you know, I was, I was still doing other internships in Nashville. I did, I did one at a booking agency and this wasn't even really internships. This was me like volunteering to help because my school didn't let you do internships till your senior year. Um, so I, you know, was helping out, you know, I would help like a book like on the weekend I would help like a booking agent like organize their contracts for fun you know and we'd hang out and they would buy me pizza um but you know so I was able to you know keep getting experience in that sense but so I was a college rep and so I had like you get like a list of priorities when you're a college rep and I remember there's this group called the click five that I loved and became obsessed with and they were like kind of like a pop they're like a power pop group I think is the best way to describe it and around the same time I discovered the click five MySpace came out and I was like, well, only, why are only college bands using MySpace? I want, I was like the click five, we should, they should use MySpace. So I went to my boss and I was like, Hey, can I make a click five MySpace page? And it'd be like their official one. Like, why don't like major label artists do this? And she's like, I don't know what that means, but sure you can do it here. Talk to their manager. And it, and it ended up doing, you know, really well. It actually was often like the number one page on MySpace. So they connected me with Warner Music Nashville because they're like, you should meet like people at the label. They can probably benefit from, you know, your knowledge. And as soon as I met the head of new media at uh, Warner, which she was like the only person in the department at that time, because it was still little, she was like, I have to hire you. So, you know, it was, it's kind of like always 
taking my experience and using what I had to get to the next step. And it's always, you know, kind of, you know, played out that way. And I, I just am a really big believer that doing something well will always lead to new opportunities for you. And I, I really feel like that's how, you know, I got through Warner and how, you know, I was able to launch CrowdSurf and, you know, have, you know, cl- you know, some clients waiting for me when that happened. That's amazing. <laughs> so it was fun. I, I, and it was fun. It wasn't like, like it was hard work, but like going to college and working at Warner at the same time was like one of the best experiences of my life. And I feel like they both, um, they both helped each other. Like, I feel like I got a lot out of like being in a record label while I was studying and vice versa, like, you know, studying while I was there and being able to cross-reference those two things was, I'm really, I don't know how I like survived with the lack of sleep because I would go to school in the morning and work at Warner for nine hours a day, but I, I learned so much and I had a really good time doing it. So I'm grateful for it. That does sound amazing. And obviously if you're passionate about it, then the hard work is definitely worth it. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Um, so I know that CrowdSurf just launched a career development program, correct? Um, yes. Can you explain how it works and why you made it and maybe how people can join? Yeah, for sure. So it's still new and I'm still like, it's still like growing my wings, but I'm really excited about it because the reason I wanted to start the program is I feel like there's a hole in the market for people who want to learn about the music business, but, you know, aren't in school yet or aren't, you know, don't have the ability to do an internship for whatever reason, or maybe they're switching careers, or maybe they're from another country and they don't have programs like that in their country. But I I saw, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for internships. And I think for people in college to get music industry experience, but I feel like it's hard for people under the age of 18 to learn and people in other situations in life to learn. So I wanted to create this, the people in college of course can learn from it too, but I wanted to create something that was really inclusive of other categories that maybe don't have the opportunities to learn in the traditional way that everyone else get to. Um, so that, and I thought about like, what would I have loved as a 15 year old? I would have loved this. It's, you know, it doesn't cost anything. Um, I get to, you know, a, once or twice a month, I get to watch a lecture from a music industry person. I get to meet, other people who are like kind of in the same point in their career as me and get to see like what they're doing and what they, you know, what they're interested in and what jobs they're interested in and just get to hear about other, you know, awesome opportunities. So um, that's, you know, you know, right now we're basically um, focused on like doing, you know, Zoom events kind of like this. I pick, you know, somebody to, to interview and um, answer questions from the group of people. Um, we post some, some, you know, I think some interesting information on the Facebook page. And then we have a couple other, um, you know, sort of things we're going to add on to that. Like I want to do like a, a job fair, like a zoom job fair, basically a couple times a year where, where different companies get like three minutes to sort of say, talk about themselves and what job openings they currently have at the moment and how to, um, how to apply. Um, yesterday I, um, I sent out to the career development group um, for Nashville-based people that, you know, there's an opportunity to be an extra in a music video if you want to, which um, I think sometimes people are like, oh, but I don't want to be on camera, but it's not even about being on camera in that situation. It's about like being on set at a music video and getting to see how it works. You learn so much from doing that. I've done it before and I'm glad that my first time on a music video set was not when I was working, like in terms of working for somebody, like just getting to see it and be there and observe it was super helpful for me. so I, you know, just, just, but just sort of those opportunities um, all around and I'll, I'll write the, um, in the chat, the, you know, you just go here and sign up and, you know, we accept you and we just send you updates on when we're having events. And then if you can't make the events, we post them on YouTube after, and we're actually going to start um, cutting stuff up into shorter bits to put on the social media as well. So basically just curating educational content for you know, that's more inclusive and, you know, targeting more people and international and all ages and uh, people in different places in their career and that sort of thing. And you had an event today for that, correct? I did. Yes. Which, what was, what was the event who spoke? So um, it's a friend of mine, his name is CJ Cook and CJ is kind of, I, I, he, you know, he's, you know, he calls himself a multi um, hyphenate. So he works at, um, he manages um, Harv who, 
is an artist, but also um, a musical director. He's on tour right now with Justin Bieber. He's his music director. And he also is a producer and he produced uh, Peaches by Justin Bieber. So he manages him and another act uh, party next door. Um, and then he also is the director of artist relations at um, Range Media Group, which is like a, a big management firm out in LA. Um, he was actually, it was interesting today. He's actually on the road right now with Harv on the Justin Bieber tour. So it was kind of any, um, you know, he talked to us on Zoom from the car and from um, from his tour bus, which created some Wi-Fi issues. But again, that's sort of like reality, um, but which I thought was kind of cool to see. But, you know, kind of walked walked us through like sort of his experience and, um, you know, what the challenges of tour are and, you know, how he, you know, how he networked to get his foot in the door. And his, his background was interesting because he actually he has a military background and like has actually like been deployed and fought. And he talked about how, what, how he used his experience there to navigate difficult situations in the music industry. And I thought that was really interesting. That does sound really awesome. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> um, can you explain the recent campaign that CrowdSurf had with Donny Osmond, the puppy love campaign. Um, I guess explain who the one, it won an award as well, right? The Music Business Association award. So, well, congratulations, first of all. Um, but can you explain who Donny Osmond is, what the campaign was, and I guess kind of how you executed it? Yeah, so, I mean, I actually, I didn't even really personally work on this, but I filled out the nomination form for the company. Uh, I was impressed with my business partner uh, ran lead on this and uh, with several other team members. And I was just impressed with it. So I nominated it for the award and it got accepted. So we, we didn't win it, um, at least not yet, but even I feel like sometimes getting a nomination feels like a win. Um, and so we're nominated for um, like a marketing superstar award for it with the music business association. Which, and that award ceremony will take place in March of next year, or not March, um, sorry, May of this year. I don't know why I said March of next year. It's not nine or not 11 months away. Um, but, so that'll happen in May, which is exciting. Um, we've never like been nominated for an award like that that has like a little ceremony and everything. So I'm excited to to go to it. Um, but that'll be, you know, pretty, pretty exciting. But the, the campaign, so Donny Osmond, um, you know, he, I would say he was like the Justin Bieber of his time. Like he had teen girl fans and it's kind of fun to go to his show now because you really realize that fandom is so universal when I see something like this I think about how when I was a teenager I loved the Baxter Boys you know I saw I saw people you know love One Direction I see people you know love other you know k-pop groups and you know other types of acts now and um you know he was kind of the Justin Bieber of his time he uh, and you see you know um women in their fifties or sixties had, you know, like just as excited probably to, to see him as when they were, when uh, he, they were a teenager and, you know, have been fans for 50 years plus that's really, but they're still really excited and it's nostalgic and it's a girl's night out. And, you know, they made a trip to Vegas out of it and that, you know, that kind of, it's just cool to see that. Cause you realize like, Oh, this hasn't changed. You know, and, and I think it's cool that it hasn't really changed. Um, so he so recently he was having the 50th anniversary of a song called puppy love and my business partner jade came up with, i think this idea is so brilliant um she wanted to do a vip very important puppy campaign so we at the vegas event we set up like this whole event backstage where we invited influencer dogs so dogs with instagrams with a lot of followers we brought them to the event. They had like a table at the event. And then they had, um, they had like a, um, a, a step and repeat, like backdrop that they took pictures in front of both by themselves and with Donnie. Um, Donnie met all of the dogs. Um, the, all the dogs got like a VIP gift ba like basket with like dog treats and other toys and that sort of thing. And it was just really fun, but it was just fun to do something creative that, um, you know, just instead of just posting, oh, 50 year anniversary, like to do something that's, you know, lighthearted, but, a, you know, a step beyond. And, you know, it doesn't just, it isn't just something Donnie posts out to his social media, but like, you know, the dogs are posting about it on their social media and people are talking about it because it's fun and cute and it's getting in front of a, a new audience and just doing something interesting and, and 
you know, more special than just saying it's a 50th anniversary, you know, that's, we just wanted to do something exciting because it is exciting and, you know, being creative and doing something a little out of the boxes. We never shy away from that. We like to do um, campaigns like that. How did you get involved with Donny Osmond in the first place? Um, trying to think of how that one came in. I mean, honestly, everything we get is word of mouth. I'm, I don't pitch. I, I can't, I feel like when I go pitch something that doesn't actually work, people have to like seek you out and want to work with you. But I think what happens is most artists say, you know, they ask a friend, I need a, I need a marketing team. Who do you know? And they recommend us. That's how like, we've gotten pretty much all of our work, both giant artists and little artist um, and everything in between, but that, you know, he came in via recommendation. Um, so that, you know, and it's cool. And I love getting work that way because it's just, you know, really organic word of mouth. You know, if you do a good job, eventually the right person hears about it. And I've gotten to work on, I mean, like every project I could ever dream of. People ask me sometimes what you know, what, what's your dream project? And I'm, I'm like, my dream project is the artist I'm going to help develop their career. And they're going to be huge and play arenas one day, but I don't know who they are yet. Like, I, I want to be a part of making the next dream artist I want to work with. I love that. And I love yeah. the whole campaign idea. I think that's awesome. It was fun. And that's my, my business partner's really good with like those, like she didn't even realize it was a good idea. She didn't realize it was creative. And she told me about it. And I'm like, you know, this is like, hilarious but like amazing and I feel like some of the best marketing ideas are like a little bit ridiculous and funny and that had this element of it and I, I like that definitely um I want to go back a little bit something you said about um fandoms yes. so obviously I'm sure everyone knows that fan engagement is such a big topic in the music industry and it's becoming more and more important. Um, and I know I've seen CrowdSurf posts about fandoms, obviously you saying you like the Backstreet Boys. I know Jade does as well. And yes. um, like Maya and Helen, I know as well. So yes. um, how does, how does CrowdSurf work with fans? How can fans um, influence like a marketing strategy, for example, how do you see that working in the industry? Um, I mean, I think it's, I think that when Jade and I are working on something, we kind of sit back and think, okay, like if I were a fan, would I like this? Like we're sort of planning rollout strategies and that sort of thing. So I think it's a combination of that. And, um, I think it's also important to proactively listen to the fan base in the sense of like, look at what people are saying on Instagram comments, look at what people are saying on Twitter. I don't recommend that the artists do that because it can be really hurtful to like read all that stuff yourself, but to have somebody like us do that and sort of like, you know, make an assessment on here's what people liked or didn't like about this song or this launch or these, this ticket on sale link isn't working. We need to address this, but you know, we solve a lot of problems that way by, by listening and, and looking. So um, I think, you know, fans can help there's a couple ways, you know, in using their voice on social media can be a, a really great way to help an artist, um, both in just like being supportive and being on their side. I feel like sometimes people don't speak up enough when they like something or when they're excited about something. A lot of times I think people wait to speak up when there's something negative. So I think making sure that you do speak up or share a story uh, or share a song on your story when you like it or tweet about, you know, something positive or when the artist did something good. I think that's important to do because there's everyone definitely jumps to do that sort of stuff when there's negativity and just making sure that you're balancing the negative out with the positive, I think can really go a long way for, um, for an artist. And, and not to say that like negative feedback should never happen, but if you are, if somebody is being like saying, you know, saying something negative about their artist or fan base, I think do always do it in a not name calling way <laughs> I think it's kind of like you think about like couples therapy like say it in a constructive way don't call somebody a name or insult their appearance or no no name calling like let, let's just like be like you know hey I wish this linked work because I really wanted to buy a ticket or you know you know I, you know I think it sharing your voice is important even when like you don't have the best feedback but I think just doing it in a respectful way is what you know, matters the most on that front. Let's get into social media a little bit. Okay. Let's say 
I'm an artist, indie, indie artist, and uh, I don't want to do social media. I want to just play, you know, go on stage, put my stuff up on the DSPs, Spotify, etc. But I, I still want to do the social media. It's too much. What is your answer to that? I mean, you can do that. I just wouldn't have any expectations about how many people see it. You know, if you if you yeah, want yeah. to just play and you want to just put stuff up, just don't complain about your monthly listeners on Spotify if you don't want to do anything to market it or share. Because unfortunately, right now, like if you talk to anybody that's A and R at a record label, they're signing people based upon social media data at this point. Nobody's going out on a limb hardly ever anymore about this music's great. I believe in this person. I'm going to put a million dollars into develop them. Nope. They're looking, they have, they spend a lot of money on data and TikTok research to pick out who they're going to sign and who they're going to invest their time in. Um, and that's just, you know, that's just unfortunately the, the name of the game. Now the marketing, you know, it, it's kind of like, I, I like to compare it to shark tank. If you go on shark tank and you have a great product, um, but you don't have any sales or you don't have a marketing plan or you don't have a way to get that product out. Occasionally somebody will jump in and be like, this product's so good. I don't care. I can fix that all. Most of the time they're going to say it's too early. You don't have a plan. I don't trust you as a CEO. And I think that social media is a part of you being a CEO as an artist. Now, if you want to just make music and post it on DSPs, I, that's, I think that see that as being a, musician at this point but maybe not necessarily an artist in in today's economy unfortunately do you think that's can be maybe genre specific like let's say we were talking about i'm a thrash metal band is it still as important for me as, as a thrash metal artist as it is if i'm i'm a pop artist or americana or a country um, does is it genre specific or can you pretty much make a blanket statement in 2022 and stay you have to be, have a presence somehow on social media. I, I think you have to have a presence somehow on social media. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to run an account. I mean, we've seen, you know, Beyonce and Lord not have accounts on specific social media platforms and be really successful, but there's definitely a social media strategy in the sense that you see a lot of people posting about, people are hearing about their music through social media though. Like they're, the, the art is, you know, they're definitely thinking about like, what does the art look like on digital? They're thinking about, okay, I need to make sure I have a Spotify canvas. So when people share this on, on Instagram, it looks good. Like there's still, even if you don't have a platform, you still have to think about how do people hear about me on these platforms? Um, and, and, and if like, you know, depending on different genres, like maybe Instagram or maybe TikTok doesn't matter for your, your genre or not a lot, but you're still going to have to think about, okay, how are people going to hear about me? If it's not going to be on social media, then I'm going to have to get on a lot of festivals. I'm going to have to open for somebody. I'm going to have to do something else so that people can hear about me. So I can eventually make money on this one day, if that's your goal. The reason I'm asking these questions is there are still people have this, uh, and when I say people, young musicians, young artists, you know, you're the, the 20, 21 year old artist, independent artist, still has this impression that the music industry, like it's 1996, pre even pre-Napster, that I want to get signed to a label, all I need to do is record and tour, and that social media stuff, it's just too, it's just too much. So what suggestions do you have for the artist to who doesn't want to go that extra step, how do you convince them that you just have to these days and you have to figure it out? And what tips do you have for them to plan and get beyond the mental breakdown of it's too much? I can't be creative like that and still be a creative when it comes to music. How do you yeah. suggest they juggle that if if they have no budget to get a crowd surf to do it and they still have yeah. to all themselves? So um, you know, a couple things like there's no job in this world that doesn't have an aspect of it that you don't like. I absolutely hate having to go through resumes and hire people. I hate having to look at my taxes, but those are necessary things that I have to do in order to have the freedom of running my own company. So it, social media is definitely that aspect to a lot of artists careers. Um, one thing that I, I like to suggest to, to people is kind of schedule 
kind of schedule social media the way that you maybe schedule like a meeting or a workout um, in the sense of like, if you have to, like, for example, if you're in the studio and you have an interview or you have all this stuff on one day and then you're like, oh, I have to make sure I get a post one day. You're thinking about the post all day versus you, you have to kind of produce social media sometimes the same way you produce songs in the sense of like, okay, um, you know, I'm going to record in the studio from 11 to two. I'm going to have my break from two to three. When I come back in from two to two twenty, I'm going to make sure I take a picture and post. A, I'm going to make sure I post a story from here. I'm going to make sure I post, I'm going to take a picture um, or I may do something else, but I think like allocating, okay, I'm going to give this 20 minutes today and that's all I'm going to give it can really be productive and sort of not make it not have the anxiety of thinking about it all day, but just making it like a checklist item in the same way. Like you have to remember to do other things you don't like, like take out the trash or, um, you know, or go to the gym or, you know, pay your bills. You, you kind of have to like checklist it the same way you have to do other things that are important, but you know, you, you don't like them, but I think checklisting it versus like having it loom all day and not know when you're going to do it can really help people that have that sort of mental walk with it. Yeah, I know some artists, part of their internal issue is they overthink it and yep. they think it needs to be so produced and they need to get so, um, you know, in the right outfit and have the right amount, you know, of makeup or get their hair, or have the right lighting. And they put all this production together for a 14 second video. And they put so much effort into that one that it sucks all the energy out. And then they don't put another video out, whether it's a reel or a TikTok or anything like that, for like two weeks, because it just burns it like one can just burn them out. Yeah. And listen, like I, I one thing that I'm excited about is that I think um I think like over filtering and overproducing is kind of out. Like people don't want to see artists be an industry plant. Like they want to see somebody start somewhere and grow to like. Ariana Grande superstar, they don't want to see them start there. So I think that, you know, I think hopefully that alleviates some pressure over time is that people, it can actually be a negative if you look too perfect, especially early on in your career. Um, if you look too produced, too perfect, too whatever, like you want to put a little bit of thought on it and maybe like, you know, pick a room with good lighting and that sounds good. Yeah, sure. But like, it doesn't need to be a, a whole production. Like, like you're saying. Um, and, and I just think it's figuring out what works for you. I have some artists who like, they'll block three hours every Wednesday night and just like get all their social media done for the week. And that three hours, they have a list, they go in, they knock it out, they change outfits between each TikTok. Like I have a group that does that. And they, you know, so they have like, you know, three to five TikToks to post for the week and they're good till next Wednesday. And they give them to, to us and we post them, but you could just, you know, somebody could schedule that themselves. But I think it's being organized about it can take a lot of the anxiety out of it let me get back to two specific things because we have tiktok and then instagram is really pushing reels very yes hard. talk about um using content for the same platform you know you creating one video and using them for both talk about your impressions right now in april of 2022 where the two are in terms of uh, algorithms and how you can be more successful in one than the other possibly you know what 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 do you know about either one where the comparisons and what are the differentials that maybe people may not realize so they should spend maybe more time on reels instead of tiktok or vice versa uh, um so i mean you can be pretty successful on on both they're de they definitely both have significant growth um i will say that i think reels and tiktok are more unpredictable than social media has ever been in the sense I would say like five years ago I could be like yeah that picture is going to do really well on Instagram now I don't know sometimes like you know I could really like something and it just does okay or I could think like something's mediocre and it like goes viral it's it's really unpredictable and kind of a lottery sometimes so I think you just have to make sure that like you're you're buying the lottery ticket and putting it in every so often and taking you know you want to you know, things to be quality, but I think you just kind of have to, you know, try frequently. Um, in terms of growth, you know, TikTok is still growing much more significantly than Instagram is just from like a pure data standpoint. Um, so I do think it's important, you know, to be on TikTok. It's definitely slowing a little bit. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I would have people like easily gain a hundred thousand followers in a week, like no problem. Video quality didn't have to be that 
creative. Like you, you, you were really killing it. Now you can still have some moments like that, but it's not as frequent. But I think just making sure that you're playing the game um, and being creative and kind of having your own twist on stuff. Um, you know, we've had, and, you, and I think you, if you keep doing it, you eventually have your moment. Like we have an artist we've been working with for a couple months. He's a baby artist, brand new. You know, he's probably posted about 20 TikToks and uh, two days ago, he finally posted one that went and had a million views and he's gained thousands of followers off of it. But it just took a second for the right one to, to go. So you, it, it, I just think it's being consistent and not giving up on it because I, I, people eventually have like their moment if they keep trying to, you know, if they keep creating quality content. How consistent is consistent enough? Once a week, once a day, three times a day? Does it depend upon the artist, just the genre? Um, I mean, I don't want to, I don't ever want to like say somebody should post three times a day or even once a day, unless like the content is amazing. And there's a reason why they're doing that. I like to try to encourage people to at least post three times a week. I think that's fair enough to be giving it a shot, but not like too much pressure that it's going to take away the quality because you're just posting the post. I don't think you should ever post a post. You should have an angle. You should have a, you know, a thought you should have a video produced in your head and you should like feel good about it and be excited to make it. And we're really talking video these days. We're not necessarily, we're not talking that much about a still photo to put on Instagram, you know, on your, uh, as a post or even a carousel of five or six photos that might, uh, can that be added to the mix and matter much or real? It's really about the video these days. And we haven't talked about YouTube shorts at all. So you can throw that in too, if you want. Yeah. I mean, YouTube shorts is still like finding its footing, but a lot of the same type of vertical content can go there too. Um, in terms of like photos and videos, I think they serve a different purpose. I think if you're trying to get in front of new people and educate people about yourself or expose people to your brand, video is the way to go. But if you're trying to connect with the people you already know or tell somebody or tell something that people already know, I still think photos can be great or even like, you know, flyers can be great. Like, for example, I got to speak last month at, um, or yeah, last month at a, at a Forbes 3050 conference. And you know, it was really cool because um, like Hillary Clinton and Tyra Banks were also there and having and posting that flyer with me and those people like that photo really went a long way because it demonstrated clearly like I'm going to be speaking at a conference with these people. This is a big moment for me. Um, I don't think a video would have accomplished the same goal with in terms of sharing that specific piece of information. Um, but I was also not trying to gain gain new followers with that information. I was trying to communicate with the people I already know that I'm doing something. So I think that if you're like communicating information or like personality pieces, like I, I think um, on Instagram, like, you know, the photo dumps are really cool that are kind of like more, you know, laid back recap of what happened over the week or a month or a specific trip or time frame, that sort of thing. I, I see a lot of artists doing that. And I think people like that those are a little less polished and a little, you know, more just like, a slice of life like those those posts aren't about engagement they're about just like getting closer and to the people that already follow you and sharing that aspect of your life um or if just a photo is absolutely stunning and amazing that still does really well and that still serves a purpose and sometimes that stuff can get shared but in general if you're trying to if the it always depends on your goal like if of what you're trying to do if your goal is to grow your accounts i think video is super important you used the term lottery a couple minutes ago when we were talking. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about your impression of using influencers. And because uh, because my experience using influence, I managed some artists and my experience using some influencers, it's it's you're going the lottery. It's real. Yeah. To, and you have to really have an idea of. So what is my goal from spending money on one or two or various influencers? So can you talk about the mindset of employing people to be influencers for an artist or for a brand and putting in sort of a strategy and a goal set together. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think that people need to like go beyond surface level when they're doing an influencer campaign in the sense of, I, I think if you're doing an influencer campaign and your goal is to like make a song go viral, that's not a good goal to have. Um, I think, so let's, let's say you, there's a couple of different routes you can go on, you know, influencer marketing. Let's say one route is you want to hire one big influencer that costs a lot of money to promote a song. I think the goal of something like that is to be like, okay, 
I'm going to be able to use in my press release now that this big person used the song. I'm going to have a piece of content from like an internet celebrity using my song. You have to think about how else you're going to use it besides just it being on their platform and be able to see the win for that because you Addison Ray has posted a ton of songs that didn't become hits. Like there's just so much out of your control. But if you, but I, I had an artist that actually did hire Addison Ray to post the song and we were able to use that to continue building our story. We we're able to tell press outlets, yeah, you know, we're, when we're trying to get coverage, yeah, Addison Ray just used this song, you know, on TikTok. It was really cool. Like, and then look at these videos that other people made because Addison Ray did this. You know, we're able to leverage that content in the right way, but it, it wasn't, but we weren't just like, paying Addison Rae and hoping that would fix the, you know, make the song work because I don't think that strategy, something that makes the song work is never just one thing. There's so many aspects to it. So I think that there's, you know, that for like a single influencer use. Um, And if you use something like pair pop or song influencer, for example, where you get like a large amount of people to be posting a song. um, You know, I think a lot of times in those situations, those campaigns are about song uses, like getting the number of uses up on the song. And um, I think that can be a good way to test, like maybe on any like sort of either influencer campaign or paid media campaign like that, where you're either going to spend X amount of money or ads or X amount of money on influencers. I always like to spend a little, like just a tiny bit to see what sort of return I get. And if the return is good, add more money into it. But I never am just going to be like, I have a thousand dollars. I'm going to spend all thousand dollars at once. No, I'm going to spend 200 analyze it and see if it's worth spending the other 800. I think that's how you don't get screwed on ads or um, influencers. Um, but it is, it is hit or miss. Like it's, you know, if, if you're, if you're a new artist and you don't have like a built-in audience, I do think spending a little bit of money on influencers just to see how you want to spend enough money to give the song a chance in the sense of you want it to react. But if like you can see, okay, a hundred thousand people have listened to my song and it's not trending up, you know, that you kind of have a good enough sample audience to know, like, maybe this isn't the song that you should pump more money into and move on to the next one. That's, that's, you know, how I like to use that kind of stuff. Okay. Talk about the shadow ban. Um, I work with some people and somebody in particular who she'll have on Tuesday, she'll put out a TikTok and it goes, you know, she'll get 30 or a hundred thousand views of that TikTok. The one, one comes out the next day, it gets 107. And she suddenly, she can, we realize, oh, she's shadow banned because she said something or sometimes on Instagram, she was driving people off the platform. Can you talk a little bit about what you believe shadow banning is and why it happens and how to stop it? Yeah, so, so um, all platforms hate that term shadow ban because a lot of times people misuse the word shadow ban is an excuse for their content not performing well. And it's generally not the case. I have seen certain situations where I do think content was being limited. I'm usually able to figure out why the content's being limited. Um, most of the time when somebody's being shadow banned, they're, they're not, they're just misunderstanding the situation. That's actually a different situation. Um, there's a lot of things though that can limit your content. Uh, if you're looking for something to go viral, depending on the platform, sometimes curse words um, can really cause problems. Um, and there's weird thing, uh, weird other things that can set it off. Like for example, I'm trying to run an ad right now and I'm actually having to change it. I have an, I'm, I'm trying to run a growth ad for a developing artist and they're called Ugly Boys. And um, in the ad, they say something like, and you can you know rate us and say how ugly we are. And that seems to have triggered either like derogatory it, it seems to have triggered either some sort of like thing in the AI that makes it think that's like derogatory and insulting to somebody when they're actually just joking or, um, or like they think it's like a, like a, a scamming, like, you know, you know, scam, like rate this girl sort of um, ad. So, but, but sometimes that kind of stuff can happen too, where like the AI misreads something and thinks the content is something that it's not. Um, so, and that kind of stuff will get limited. Like YouTube, for example, like if you're, song like if you have a video that has like partial nudity in it like youtube's not going to let you like run ads behind it or um or like that video is not going to get served like in the sidebar on youtube so you like there's certain things that'll immediately like kill those like organic things that serve a video to other people and there's a lot of stuff 
within TikTok and Instagram that will kill your video being served to other people. Like politics, a lot of times will kill something being served to other people automatically, but anything like violent, curse word, partial nudity, you know, stuff that should be 18 or over, like that, a lot of that stuff can kill, can kill it. But as you can see, sometimes that can be misconstrued within artificial intelligence. So you just have to, sometimes you have to troubleshoot and figure out um, why something can be limited. Um, I'm really happy that Instagram has that, they have a tool now in the back end of your profile where you can see if you've ever been flagged for anything. I think that's going to be super helpful for people understanding maybe why their accounts are having problems with with things moving forward. I thought that was a really smart move of them. Where do people see that if they're suddenly like, oh, wow, I didn't. Um, there's, I, I don't know the exact pattern, but like you, it's in your profile settings in, I'm opening up my Instagram, in Instagram now, if you go to your like, let's see your settings, they change everything. Settings, and then you go to account, and then you click on account status. And it says like, so mine says like, you haven't posted anything that's affected your status. But I thought, but that's new, but I thought that was really helpful because a lot of times we're like, what got flagged or why did mm -hmm. it get flagged? And that will explain it. And I think that this could help in like this sort of situation too, where people are like, I don't understand why this video is not getting served. So I'm, I'm hoping that other platforms take note and do something like that as well. I think it'll be super helpful. And then it, it teaches you like what to not post in the future what the platform doesn't want anyway. So I think that's a really good feature. Yeah, and it just makes people want to use the platform more and create more content to keep other people on more so the platform can sell more ads. So it's- Yeah, because the worst thing is like thing. when you're like, I don't know why this isn't, why, I, I don't know why they banned this. I don't know why this got taken down. That's being in the dark is the worst. So I think anything and any information that keeps you from being in the dark is a really positive thing. Yeah, and when you get something that gets taken down, that all you do is badmouth the platform. You yeah, know, yeah. TikTok, you keep taking this down. What do I do, you know, and it just you know gets people upset. Yeah, and it discourages them from investing time and in creating mm -hmm. more content. Yeah, exactly. So I have one final question. Then Jenna has one final question, I believe. Okay, cool. My final one is going back a bit to when we were talking about artists getting signed to a label, and Jaden, who's with us, she wants to know. Um, I'm sorry, he wants to know, um, do you think it, we will ever go back to a time when labels are more interested specifically in just an artist's talent and they, regardless of social media status? Um, I mean, I think there'll always be people that sign based upon that. There's people that like, they get adrenaline off of that. They, they, they would actually, there's some people that are excited about finding it before the internet does. Uh, I think that it's, I think it's going to be harder in the bigger companies to do that for a while because they're getting a lot of pressure from higher up to like go after the, the artists that are, they're big on TikTok. But like for me personally, for example, I I'm absolutely looking for people that are talented. Um, I, I do want like a, a certain level of base though, because if some like on TikTok again, like if you put, like, as I said earlier, if you post enough, you're going to have a video or two that pops off eventually. If you're, a viable product. And if somebody's, I personally don't want to work with an artist that isn't at least doing that amount because I want to work with somebody who's going to work as hard as I am. So that's another aspect of it is um, I am, I am very interested in their talent though. I, I, you know, I, um, I don't ever want to work with somebody that I don't think can deliver a good live show and isn't going to grow as, as an artist, but I also want somebody who's going to, to work hard um, in, in their own way. And just to be clear, for artists to work with crowd surf, there 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 are tiers of money, you know. So it's not you're not just doing it to be nice. There's going to be some money exchanging hands, but they're going to get value out of it. Yeah, for sure. But I still, if, if an artist isn't going to work with us, like I even if they're going to give me money, I don't want to work with them. Um, and also, and also, I am doing more like artist development projects now, where it's not about them paying me. It's about like I'm investing in them, and we're you know, want to build them up online and, and eventually, you know, build them out, you know, to a bigger team one day. Um, so I'm actively like looking and, you know, have actively like, you know, partnered with a couple artists, either on management or artist development and working on that front. And then your ultimate goal there, there, because you said build them out to a point where you, you, you see a payday at some point where you're not, again, you're not just doing it to be nice. You, you're passionate, you're helping to develop that artist. And at some point, you're building in there, there will be some revenue for. 
you. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. And I hope so, but I just, I, I really, I like artist development and I, I like that side of, you know, the, the, the business. I think a lot of, a lot, cause I've actually asked some people to partner with me on some of these artists and they're like, it's too early. I don't want to do it. Like most people are saying like, even when somebody has like a hundred thousand TikTok followers, like it's too early. I don't want to do it. Um, but I, I'll take people earlier than that, but I want to see that they're trying, you know? So we have time for one last question. Um, do you have any tips or pieces of advice for students looking to get into the music business side or even performers just trying to grow their careers? Yeah, um, I would say that if you really want to do it, it it's, it's not as scary as Donald Passman's book makes it out to be. There are yeah, I always read it and there's like, there's like the 2%, you know, 2% of people who went to Belmont get, you know, um, and maybe that's not from his book, but you know, I you hear stats like only 2% of people who go to Belmont and study music business, get a job. And that may be true, but the people who really want it always end up somewhere. It may be a little bit of a journey. They may be a six month job hunt, um, but it's going to happen. And the, and the same with artists, like, you know, there's um, a couple artists I see sort of making it now that I've known for 10 years, but they were consistent. They stuck at it. They continued to get better at being a writer and being a vocalist and being an instrumentalist. And it'll eventually work out. You it just may, you just may have to stick with it and it may not be the exact road that you expected, but for the people who really want it, it, it always works out, I think. Awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. Yes. So Cassie Petrie, thank you very much for appearing on our Music Biz 101 and More radio show podcast. That's when you say, you were the best, Dave. Thank you so much for having me and on my hair. Well, thank you all so much for having me. Seriously, though, it was, it was really fun and the questions were really great and, and I just appreciate the opportunity. And you like my hair. And I love your hair. It thank is you gorgeous. so much. Oh, that came from the heart. Thank you. And yes. Thank you, Jenna, for all your help today. Appreciate it. And your hair is fine. Okay, too, I guess. Cassie, at the end of every show, we do not say hello because that would just be stupid because it's the end of the show. So what do you think we say at the end of every show? Uh, um, goodbye. <laughs> we do say goodbye, but in a different language. And that goodbye oh. means I wish you didn't like John Mayer or pretend to care about what I say so much. Wish I never met your friends and heard from them. They said, don't mess this up. Wish I